Hello, Rocky Mountain National Podcast listeners. We join you yet again for another great episode. Uh, A couple quick announcements before we begin. First, we have got a big pavement preservation project. So that means people are going around in the park and working on our pavement to keep it in good shape now and in the future. That's going on in the park and is going to be creating delays and closures over the next couple of weeks. Areas impacted are changing daily, so it's not just one area for the whole time. It's changing every day and are too complicated to cover in detail here, but you can get the full details on our website. Point your browser to nps.gov forward slash Romo. That's R-O-M-O, nps.gov forward slash R-O-M-O. Look for alerts at the top of the page. And then find the alert related to pavement preservation and click more. That will take you to a news release that has the full details and a big old list to help you plan your trip. Second, monsoon season has been in full effect recently with heavy thunderstorms rolling in nearly every afternoon. As always, please, please check the weather before your visit. Plan any hike so that you are below tree line and away from dangerous areas before storms are set to arrive, and never leave the safety of a building or your car if thunderstorms are present. Stay safe out there. Uh, We know that thunderstorms are a common thing, and so uh, it's easy to get complacent, but when you're here up in the high country and on the edge of rocky areas, um, people have been struck by lightning and even killed by lightning in Rocky, so please take it seriously. And now for our episode. This week we are joining Kyle Patterson, Rocky's public affairs officer, to talk about what in the heck a public affairs officer does, the importance of sharing Rocky's amazing news and messages with the news and with you, and current issues at the park, and also what you can do to help us keep Rocky beautiful now and in the future. Uh, It was a super fun episode. Kyle's really fun to talk to, and I'm sure that you're going to learn a lot of neat things and uh, hopefully enjoy yourself. So here we go. Enjoy the show. So the way it goes, it's very We can do that. We can do that. All right, so uh, what is your name and what do you do here at the park? My name is Kyle Patterson and I'm the public affairs officer here at Rocky Mountain National public Park. Public affairs officer. Yes. All right, so I'm going to try to use the listener's mind. Perfect. And Think the way that they would think. What the heck is a public affairs officer? What does that mean? What do you do? What do I do? What do you do? And it depends on the day. That's yeah. one of the reasons I love my job is That's what true. I do can vary greatly depending on the day. But my my main job duties uh, is media relations. So basically um, news releases mm-hmm. for the park, proactive stories mm-hmm. on on different things that we do here at the park and our colleagues and the amazing things they do. And then... Uh, some of what I do can be very reactive. Mm-hmm. So Rocky Mountain National Park is one of the top five search and rescue parks in the country. And so we might, all might have this perfect list of what we're going to check off that day. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then that gets changed uh, very quickly um, and very dramatically with some of the incidents we have in the park. So uh-huh. some of what I'm sharing with the public as well is is um, very reactive and highlighting uh, some of the incidents that happen in the park and what our colleagues do to help folks 
and also some of the preventative search and rescue messages so that uh, hopefully if people are informed and educated and prepared, mm-hmm. we won't have as many situations. So that's a big part of what I do is media relations. And then uh, I also do a lot of community outreach. So giving presentations and programs to a variety of organizations and groups and members of the public and a variety of different forums. Okay. That's a big part of my life. And then I've got a lot of other duties as assigned as uh-huh. well. So you're kind of the, uh, are you the official voice of Rocky or you're kind of the the official word? Is I am that the how of, it works? I'm the official voice. Okay. Some people call me the mouth. <laughs> the I'm mouth. not quite sure what that means or what, you know. Maybe they're Lord of the Rings fans, <laughs> like the mouth of Sauron. You're Lord of the Rings fan? Not that much. That's a little deep, yeah. Some of our <laughs> listeners will get it. You're like the mouth of Sauron, except instead of a horrible, evil eye living on a tower, it's Rocky Mountain National Park. Much better job. Much better job. Yeah, much yeah. better job. Yeah. So that's interesting. I can look myself in the mirror. <laughs> you know, I'm not quite sure that that right. mouth could. Yeah. No, <laughs> definitely not. Um, that's interesting. So the, the proactive versus reactive. Right. Yeah. So the reactive stuff is probably what people can imagine most easily like um yeah like you said search and rescue we've been posting some search and rescue videos and news releases and trying to summarize all of that sort of thing what's what's that like when you hear about something going on and then yeah how does how does that whole process unfold you right. get called at like four in the morning and they say kyle how's it going so it depends <laughs> on the the level of the incident but i'll be notified anytime we have any kind of incidents in the park just as more of a heads up okay and, so you're basically getting calls every day yeah, absolutely yeah and uh, all hours of the day uh-huh. it depends certainly fortunately we don't have a lot of incidents that are happening overnight but we certainly have incidents that start in the day and last mm-hmm. overnight mm-hmm. and and so a lot of it is um again wanting to Proactively share the stories of what our colleagues are doing to assist visitors that um, get into trouble or or become injured. Uh, we have a you know tragedies that happen in the park as well. So trying to share the story in a in a kind way as well is right. really important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that protects people's privacy and protects. All sorts of things involved. Yeah, right. that must be challenging. It, it is challenging, and, and since our incidents vary so much, depending upon what people are doing and where they are, some of our search and rescue incidents, in fact, most of them are, you know, people doing the right things, being prepared, and just, you know, having a, a horrible thing happen to them right. somewhere in the park. And so usually it's not egregious that people are doing something right. and then things happen, things happen. Yep. and there's objective risks there out here. there are and that's there's part of why people come <laughs> there are a lot of there are a lot of risks and you know falls are the uh, the number one injury in rocky and they're the number one cause for fatalities in rocky well when you work and live in a place called rocky mountain national park yep. uh, rocks are not very forgiving no um, and you and i think also just through the years you realize how fragile we are as human beings yeah. when things happen doesn't and take much. it doesn't take much. It doesn't even take that far of a fall. No, it really doesn't. And so, you know, certainly being, um, try to be very professional and kind when sharing the story and also knowing that this this is a person that this has happened right. to who have family and friends who, again, whether it's a tragedy, which fortunately we don't have very very many when you think of the level of visitation right. we That's have true. in the park. Yeah, as a percentage. Yeah, yeah. As a percentage, it's really low. But then also just being mindful of, of some of the severe injuries we've had in mm. the park and incidents we've had in the park as well. And so certainly 
those stories get a lot of attention. And we also have a lot of stories that we share with uh, with members of the public that aren't necessarily kind of those dramatic search and rescue incidents that people are just as interested in. So uh-huh. that's that's my favorite part of my job is to uh-huh. be able to help tell those stories uh-huh. and help our colleagues tell those right. stories. Because even though I'm the spokesperson and the voice of the park, we've got a lot of amazing people, as oh, you know, sure. that yeah. work here exactly. that are very articulate, that yeah. do amazing things. I mean, and that's so pretty much the, uh, that's pretty much the, uh, the genesis of this podcast idea is just, yeah, being around park staff, you're just kind of like, wow, there's so many, they're just interesting people anyway, and their jobs are so interesting. And I think that's what can be challenging just from the perspective of people even working here. It's hard for even us who work here to keep track of and recognize all the cool things that people are doing because there's so much going on. Like how many permanent employees do we have? There are, there, there is so much going on. We there's have about 160, 160 permanent year round, year round. And, then seasonal. and then we have about 210 seasonal rangers. Yeah, so that it's a big workforce it is and, a, we're, and we're, we're pretty spread out. I mean, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on in, at headquarters, but even there people are out in the park. People, I hear about stuff all the time. I'm like, Oh wow. I didn't hear about that. Right. So right. that, that sounds like the most fun part to me. I mean, the reactive thing that you're talking about, where you're reporting on incidents, kind of breaking news that people want to know about, is obviously very important and can take a lot of time. <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's neat thinking about it from like finding stories that are going on and finding ways to highlight them. Um, and finding stories too, I feel like a lot of times you find stories that do that, but also educate at the same time, Right, educate visitors. Could you talk a little bit right. about that part? You bet. So, you know, just the voices that we talk about too, and why it's great that we're having an opportunity to hear different voices mm-hmm. through the podcasts and just the experience level and passion that so many of our colleagues have. I, I love to be able to share those stories. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's great that we're using podcasts as another avenue to mm-hmm. do that. Mm-hmm. That's my biggest regret. I think at the end of each day is not having enough time sure. to be able to, oh, this is a cool story. I want to highlight this. This is a great story. I want to highlight this. Mm-hmm. And or trying to grab staff to help share those stories. But that's not their primary mission of their particular yeah, exactly. position. Right. So they're like, I'd love to talk about it, but yeah. I've got to go right. uh, tackle non-native species, yeah. or I have to exactly. go deal with, um, you know, an elk in an exclosure. Right. I have to. And so right. part like, of can it I is get three just hours of your time, and they're like, No, I don't have it. <laughs> I would working. love to tell you my story. I don't yeah. have time to tell you my exactly. story. So if we Especially can. In summer. Absolutely. So if we can help gather some of that for people to tell the story, mm-hmm. that's that's great. And mm-hmm. and we'll never have enough time no, to share sure. the stories. And sure. I, I mean, when I, as I just sit here now and just think about all of our different divisions and all of our different work units and all of the different tasks mm-hmm. that people have, it's mind blowing. I mean, we're basically a city. We are. Yeah. And... I don't know if people realize I was talking to, um, uh, we had a, a class of designers like, um, graphic design, but also industrial design, which is interesting. We were here for a week and I recorded with them like last, last Friday, I think it was. And, that was one of the questions they had for me earlier. I just sat and talked with them. was like, what are all the different things people do here at the park? And I, it was hard for me to even remember, honestly. <laughs> I would go through a big list, you know, like, oh, we have interpretation. And then we have education, which is separate because it's curriculum-based. Right. And then we have law enforcement commissioned people. And then we have backcountry people and backcountry crews. But then I started thinking, I was like, wait, we have researchers. <laughs> like in all these different fields and people managing elk and people managing sheep and plants and 
managing grants and everything down to like sanitation and janitorial, right. which is so important. Is. And I think people don't even think about it. And we'll talk about that more in a little bit. Yeah, well, actually, good. we could talk about it now. I yeah. mean, I think that that's, we have some challenges that are emerging at Rocky, so we can talk about some of those too. But definitely just, we basically are a city. We are. I mean, there's very few things that we don't do. Right. There's a few just because we have it, we have Estes Park and Grand Lake. Right. So we're not like, like when I worked in Denali or something, where right. it's literally like you are your own services, right. period. Right. But we're pretty close. We are. And we're really fortunate here that we have the amenities, yeah. like the lodging and the restaurants and yes. all of that is in our surrounding communities. So that's one less thing that we have to be looking yeah. at as far as just an infrastructure and aspect. You, that's that's a good you you do you spend a lot of time working with gateway communities, right? I Could do. you talk about that? I do. We're really fortunate at Rocky to have great relationships with our surrounding communities. Mm-hmm. And um Grand Lake on our west side, Estes Park on our east side. And those partnerships are really, really vital mm-hmm. to Rocky Mountain National Park. It's very much a symbiotic relationship. Yeah, it has to be. And, and both kind of the tourism promotional aspect of, of both of those communities, as well as the, the town management of mm-hmm. both of those. So we're, we work closely with both the, the town management and the staff that help run the towns. Uh, and then also uh, there, the tourism outlets of both of those areas as well, just to continue to make sure that, you know, one of the common goals that we both have is to continue to make the visitor experience of our mutual visitors. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes they call them guests. We yep. call them visitors. Yep. Just a little bit difference in semantics. Yeah, but park service lingo versus park, town absolutely. lingo. And so part of that is is making sure that we're doing the best we can for setting visitor expectations mm-hmm. and and more and more with our significant increase in visitation, that becomes more and more important to set those visitor expectations right. and to really highlight that plan ahead message and that things have changed here drastically right. over the last five years. Yeah, and we have so much interface too with them it just on a just on a practical level, like in Estes Park with the shuttles, there's the town shuttles and then our shuttles. And they overlap in such to some degree, right. figuring out all of that. And, um, yeah, messaging right. is a big one, I know. Um, before, so we'll talk about some of the challenges facing Rocky. We'll talk about that. Before we do that, how did you become a public <laughs> affairs officer? How did that happen? How did you, because it's, it's so interesting talking to... Uh, I feel like everyone we've talked to, um, and I'm sure it will continue. It's just like, how yeah. How did we end up in these roles? A lot of times we don't even know until we think about it. But yeah, how did you get into public affairs? Absolutely. You know, you, you look back and say, this is exactly what I knew I wanted to do uh-huh. when I graduated. <laughs> well, I, I had no idea. Uh-huh. You know, it's something that I have a marketing degree. Uh-huh. And so it's one of these situations where I knew that no matter what job I had, as I grew up, I wanted to be passionate about what I did. Mm-hmm. And so I feel very grateful and fortunate that that's what I get to do every day. Uh-huh. But, you know, certainly uh, I was in the right place at the right time uh-huh. with the right experience uh-huh. that got my foot in the door. Uh-huh. 
And I started at Mount Rushmore at at a time when they were just completing a major redevelopment project. Oh, was that when they did like that huge parking structure? Everything. Everything everything was changed. The visitor center, the amphitheater, presidential walking trail, uh, their facilities of, um, again, their concession area and their visitor center and then parking structure. So in the mid to late 90s. So it was all complete around 1998. Yeah, Early 2000s, and you can yeah. tell that everything was kind of brand new. It was. Brand spanking new. Brand spanking new. Yeah. So you were there right and around that I time. I was there right oh, in that, that during that time. Exciting. So it was really exciting. And most of that was funded by their um, their friends organization. Okay. And so pretty amazing that a lot of that was not wow. actually used um, federal funds. But yeah, so, it was, so there was a lot of outreach around that, mm-hmm. a lot of national media attention when all those changes were made, a lot of recognition of... A lot of the donors that contributed to that. Uh-huh. And so, uh, again, being in the right place at the right time with the right experience, I had a background of both public relations, special events coordination, and marketing in some financial institutions. So all of that mixed together um, got me in the door. And uh-huh. so I was at Mount Rushmore for a couple of years. Were and you then the I've public been, affairs officer I was. Well? Okay. Public affairs officer. And then um, then I've been at Rocky for 16 years in that in this position. Wow, okay. So you were there for a few years and then yeah. came here. Came here, okay. yeah. So that's kind of what what got me in the, yeah. in the door. And, and most national parks don't have... Um, public affairs officers. No. It's it's either a collateral duty that someone right. else does on the side, but or it's uh, one person for like a whole group of parks. Yeah, or something. Yes, like that. but but a lot of the larger parks like Rocky do have at least one person at dedicated. Least. Yeah, <laughs> at least at yeah, least. yeah. Um, one person dedicated <laughs> to a, a variety of the the roles that we play here. So yeah. that's 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 kind of my story. Okay. Okay, so you're at University of Wyoming in Laramie. Yes, in business school. So I, I switched. And... <laughs> I switched. The wind seems to follow me miles wherever yeah, exactly. I go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you must just can't have had get away. an issue with wind. Laramie, somewhere. Black Hills, and then Estes Park. Okay. <laughs> so certainly, Laramie and Estes has made me even stronger when it comes to wind. Yeah. Uh, but certainly, it was still in the business school, and then I went into marketing uh-huh. and seemed like a better match. Yep, better fit. And I think also then. Then what do you do with a marketing degree? Sure. Way, because there's some of there's the so possibilities do, are yeah. limitless. Yeah. And so, again, that's when I was like, if I promote or highlight something, I want it to be something that I can feel really good about yeah. promoting and highlighting. Mm-hmm. And so, again, that's why I feel really grateful because yeah. I'm so passionate about mm-hmm. the National Park Service mission as a whole. Right. And, uh, again, as we continue to see some of the challenges and opportunities that we have facing us here, I think it's another way too to just engage people at helping be part of the the solution. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel the same way with with my job. You know, doing design and communication. It's great to be able to do something that you believe in and yeah has a purpose behind it that you can really get behind. And right, I remember one of my <laughs> one of my coworkers at Harper's Ferry Center who is a designer. And this is this is no slight to anyone who does this for a living. I'm just talking about her specifically. You know, she was like. Yeah, before I got this job, I was designing packages for like diapers, and now I'm doing design for National Park Service brochures. It's a different feeling. And yeah, she was like, "That worked better for me." I was like, "Yeah, I can see that." Right, absolutely. <laughs> Same here. So did you, had, so you, did you get a degree in graphic design? Is that what you're? Did you know you were going to be a graphic? No, designer? I did. Uh, my is under, anybody asking Miles these questions? No, but it's good. I'm <laughs> glad. It's good. More back and forth. No, that's a good. Yeah, that's a good question. I was. I was just like pretty much. 
I didn't do any hiking stuff or outdoor stuff growing up. I just stayed inside and read books and played piano. Mm -hmm. And so I played, I did piano and chorus and um, jazz band and marching band, just all music and, and stuff. And so when I went to undergrad, I went to this small liberal arts school in Kentucky called Center College, Bernie Center College alumni and associated people out there. <laughs> uh, and my undergrad was in music composition in English. Okay. Double major. Very good. And then I started working in national parks my between my junior and senior year. I don't remember how. How, to, how was it? Oh, yeah. It was through, do you know Colette Dagelberg? A lot of people know her. She works at Yellowstone. Anyway, okay. her husband had this site called Coolworks. And it was like you could look for seasonal jobs. And the internet, you know, the internet was getting into its own, getting into its own at that time. And I don't remember how, but somehow I was just like, wait, I can get a job in Yellowstone making minimum wage as opposed to going home for the summer making minimum wage. Okay, sign me up. Yeah, so I went out there and got hooked and started doing internships. And eventually after a few years, I was like, you know, everyone around me seems to have a degree related to what they're doing. Maybe I should too. <laughs> and then I, I got a, a master's degree in... Uh, environmental studies from the University of Oregon mm -hmm. doing but I did like cartography and design so graphic design is kind of what I ended up falling into okay. I definitely feel like it's very related to the music and literature and all yeah. that it's just like how do you create balance how do you create the right amount of tension how do you make things exciting how do you make things fit you know and, and work well and also communicating you're communicating something. In the right. case of literature and music, it's a lot more esoteric and, right. and uh, artistic, I guess you would say. And in this case, we're usually communicating specific information. Mm -hmm. But it's very similar. It's yeah. like, how can I arrange these elements to make the clearest and most engaging communication possible? Right. So, yeah, that's, yeah, I totally kind of fell into it as well. I went to get that degree and started making maps. Uh, took GIS classes. Right. And then someone was like, oh, you're pretty good at this. You should see about this cartography lab, see if they are hiring any students. And so I did, and they weren't hiring me because I already was TAing 16 hours okay. a week, and you could only work 20 hours a week gotcha. if you're a full-time student. But I got an internship working on Atlas of Yellowstone, which is like Neat. a 250-page, I think, or somewhere around there, Atlas of everything about Yellowstone like everything actually it'd be great if we had one about Rocky too um and I'd worked at Yellowstone for a couple of years and done a ton of hiking and backpacking so I knew the park fairly you know right. fairly well for right. two years and so yeah it all just kind of came together and then when I was there a cartography job at Harper's Ferry Center opened up because somebody had retired and it was the first time they'd hired someone for that job in like 17 years wow and I so right place, I just happened to right get time, exactly. right experience. Yeah. For me, people ask me about it. I'm like, how do I do that? And what's the path? And I'm like, I, yeah. I can't tell you. Yeah. But I feel like it's being, um, just like you're saying, you just kind of, you're like, does this feel right or not? Yeah. And then exploring what does feel right and putting yourself into it like all the way right. and being really passionate about it. But anyway, that's kind of <laughs> how it happened. Kind of a weird I think that's, you know, almost everyone. Right. Everyone so far that we've talked to, and I would guess almost everyone we talked to, will probably not have too straightforward of a story. I know. <laughs> at I least know. at least involved in national parks. And I think that's part of it, because we do get asked that question a lot. How yeah. were you so fortunate to work 
at a national park. Yeah, we wonder every and, day. Yeah, and I think, and and for those that are also saying, I, you know, I would like to do that same thing. Uh-huh. Sometimes it's hard because you, there isn't necessarily, to, yeah. and and that's that's hard, especially for those that really want a position with the park services. There isn't necessarily a if you do this, this, and this, then you will do become this or become yep. this, and. So and sometimes often, that's tough, but then I think also the breadth of experience also hopefully adds yeah. to just life experiences I in general so for all of us. Oh, yeah, If definitely. we were to look back and say, that is not at all the path I was, I, that's, I think it's pretty rare for I people to know exactly. I mean, you hear that. It you happens, hear of people sure. saying, in the parks. when it I happens. was in fourth grade, I knew I wanted to be a teacher. Yeah. Or when I was this, I knew that I wanted yeah. to and do this, through. and they follow through. But yeah, I, find, I think I, for most people, we're very fluid yeah. creatures. Especially in the park service. You just yeah. you kind of have to be. And I don't, I don't know, it hasn't come up yet too much on the podcast. Maybe it will at a, a certain time, but I don't know, too, if people know the lifestyle things involved mm-hmm. sometimes. Um, like Lindsay Lewis, we were talking to in an earlier episode, or actually it'll be a later episode. <laughs> talking to Lindsay Lewis in a later episode, our volunteer coordinator, and uh, just moving around all the time. And I did the same thing. And the amount of mobility that's almost required and the kind of places you have to live. And right. if it's your thing, then it's great. Right. But for a lot of people, it's not their thing. Right. It can be really challenging. Right. Especially in terms of, like, relationships right. and family and trying to find a job. Right. Or, you know, and all those kinds of issues. Yeah. Many so. times it's romanticized. And depending yes. upon what stage you are in your life, you might be more able to do that. But then there yeah. also becomes other times where... Uh, you have relationships that you're separated from right. because of it. And oh, yeah. then it's not so romantic anymore. Yeah. There's so many different arrangements people have to figure out. I mean, right. I know people who, for years, it's like, oh, I work at this park, and my spouse works at this park, yeah. and we see each other every now and then on the weekends, yeah. or yeah. like not even every <laughs> weekend. Or right. I'm like at Grand Canyon. I know multiple people who they have a house in Flagstaff, yeah. but they live up in the park during the week. So it's just like, yeah, we see each other on the weekends. and. Right. People do what they have to do to make it work. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, there's 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 multiple angles to it. Maybe we'll have a lifestyle episode. There you go. Yeah, like a home and garden <laughs> episode of, and just talk about all that stuff. Because I think it will be really interesting to people. Yeah. Um, we are going to, towards the end of the season, talk to seasonal employees. Good. Just about their season. Great. and And beginning, middle, end, wrapping up, and what the experience was like for them. That's a great idea. How it's impacted them and that kind of thing. So we'll probably hear more of that stuff. Then. Yeah. So you've been here 16 years, yes. right, at Rocky Mountain National Park. Yes, That's a 16 good... years like this this past week. Oh, wow. Happy anniversary. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> so I'm not I... quite sure how 16 years happened that fast, oh, Miles. I... <laughs> yeah. I... How is that possible? I'm still young. I'm 32, but I'm just starting. I mean, I definitely am perceiving this thing that everyone talks about that is... That is a cliche, but it's so true, yeah. which is like, time goes faster and faster. Oh, What's yeah. up with that? Yeah. and <laughs> it's, one, like, it's like, how many yeah. years is it? What? One of my favorites is, you know, the, the days are long, but the years are short. Yes. And I think that, that is so I true. I think that is like the first time I heard that. I'm that like, is that so is it in a nutshell and sound especially bite. in a position like yours, I think, because things just, you know, just like a couple of weeks ago, we had, what, five incidents in a day. Yeah. And so it's yeah. just... It's you know it can seem to go on a really long time, but then afterwards yeah. it's just like what happened? Exactly. <laughs> what happened to that day? And we have so many stories and incidents in the park that we don't even have a chance to do news releases on them too. You know, I, I know. think that sometimes the public is like, oh, 
you had a string of them and then you haven't had any since. Right. Just for instance, this week we had another day like that, but none of us had a chance to put a news release together. But we had three major incidents at Wild Basin on the 4th of July. A broken hip on one trail and a broken leg on the other trail. We didn't send out a news release about it. So when people ask me, is there something going on in Rocky? I say, I'm sure there is. It's just a matter of whether we know about it yet or not. It's almost (laughs) a quarter million acres. It's... Uh, 4.5 million visitors last year, right? Yes. Just over. Just over, yeah. So you've been here 16 years. Happy anniversary. Thank you. You've had lots of experience in one place. Mm-hmm. How have things changed from your, you know, from your right. perspective over that 16 years? Right. Because I've been here a little over two years, and it's changed right. a lot. Right. So I can't even imagine 16 years. Like how the park and town too because right. that's another thing people tell me they're like oh man you should have been here 20 years ago yeah. you couldn't get a cup of coffee in the winter so that's obviously changed but how yeah how have things changed over those 16 years there's been a lot of changes uh-huh. and what's refreshing also is that that a lot of the stuff stays the same mm-hmm. so i think we had an opportunity to reflect quite a lot in 2015 when the park celebrated its 100th anniversary right to really you know, big anniversaries give you an opportunity to honor the past, mm-hmm. as which was part of what we were highlighting, um, and also you know celebrate the present and inspire the future. Those were the three three taglines we had, and so when you look at just how much our world has changed in a blink of an eye, really, when it comes to technology, when it comes to global aspects and all that. It is refreshing to really see that the reasons that people come to Rocky Mountain National Park are the same as what they were right. 50 years ago, 100 years ago. So to me, that is a wonderful thing. I agree. Because I don't know that very many other places, very many organizations, very many entities would really look at that. Because I think that most of them would say, as a result of this and technology and this and these right. pressures and et cetera, et cetera, you know, the people are coming here for the same reasons. Scenic grandeur. Mm-hmm. watchable wildlife, and amazing recreational opportunities. Mm-hmm. So if you were to look back at photos from 75 years ago, it's the same exact thing. Same. <laughs> the, the photos might look a little different. The cars gear, look a little different. The cars look a little different. <laughs> the, the attire and the gear yeah. looks a little different. Yep. Um, and But other than that, people were coming here for the same reason. So mm-hmm. and, and you also wonder, too, with just the fast-paced lives that we all live, yeah. the being connected all the time, the pros and cons of that. Mm-hmm that more and more it just continues to uh, emphasize why national parks are so important Yeah, because we need places to have respite. We need places to disconnect. Mm -hmm. We need places to listen to natural sounds and you don't know how much you need those places until you're out in them. And there's like tons and tons of research that highlights that. I mean, that, that demonstrates that even 30 minutes sitting on a rock in nature Brings your blood pressure down. Well, I mean, that's fascinating. It's interesting when I was talking to the, those University of Kansas students. Yeah. Um, they were all, you know, young. They're all undergrads. And uh, some of them had camped before, but most of them had not camped for like a week. Yeah. They stayed at Marine Park Campground yeah. the entire week. So they didn't, you know. No, that was their experience. No electricity. Right. No, that was their experience. And even though that's a developed campground and all of that, yeah, just talking to them, interviewing them, people will hear on that podcast episode. Yeah, it just had a huge impact. They're yeah. just like, I don't know. Just after a few days, I just feel so different. And Interesting. I have That's different great. creative ideas coming to me because unlike indoors where things are kind of under control and the only new things that happen are what you make happen, 
out here stuff just happens that you know the weather changes animals move things the the light everything is always changing you know they just i could just tell it was like very um impactful and important for them and i do i agree with you totally it's so easy now to get caught up in your phone and caught up in the the computer and caught up on tv and it's just like there's there's a never-ending stream right that you can be plugged into right so it's nice that our mission has stayed relevant like you said maybe become even more relevant so that stayed the same yeah which is great we're supposed to be here forever Right, exactly. Yeah, that's the goal. (laughs) Well, and I think as different things happened in in just the 16 years that I've been here, you know, whether it's um, had a lot of major incidents that have happened here, you know, it's uh, the the things that people said after 9-11 in Mm. 2001 that people sought out coming to the park because they needed to get away from the news. They needed to get away from the constant bombardment of what happened to people on that day. and And so... Huh. It was interesting right after that that people, you know, flocked here because it was like, you know, the mountains are calling for me just to remove myself from what's going on and find peace oh, somewhere. I hadn't heard that. Yeah. Yeah, that was it a was, little bit before I was in the park service. Yeah. So it was noticeable. Oh, it was very noticeable. Very That's noticeable. Amazing. So yeah. it was like a place where people could come oh, and, yeah. and, and have some space yeah. to like heal. Exactly. Huh. And and um wow, that's, that's amazing. And there's, you know, there's a number of stories out there, very moving stories that people have shared about coming here right after that time period that, huh. you know, brings tears to your eyes because they it was a conscious decision that they said, I need to get away from what is happening right now mm-hmm. and so where can i go and they came here mm-hmm. and so to me that just emphasizes again why absolutely. we need to preserve and protect this place absolutely um because there's been a lot that's happened in our world the last hundred years since rocky's been here yep. and so you can imagine that people came here after world war ii people sure. came here for so many different reasons to find you know peace and tranquility huge growth and, in parks after world war ii absolutely i mean yeah huge. yeah so you know the mission has stayed yeah. the same right what has not stayed the same uh-huh. <laughs> is our level of visitation. Yeah. And Just so the sheer number of the people. The sheer number of people. And Rocky has always been uh, one of the most popular parks. Sure. But what's happening in the last five years is we're seeing this rapid increase in visitation, 40% over the last four years, 32% over the last two years. So we now, in 2016, were 4.5 million visitors. In 2015, we became the third most visited park. And then in 2016, Yosemite leaped over us again, and we were the fourth most visited national park. Yeah. And so there's lots of reasons for that. Um, Most of it has to do with population growth along the Front Range. Yep. It's booming. It's it's booming. And some of the fastest (laughs) growing counties are literally either in our doorstep or on our doorstep. And so when people are, a lot of people are moving to Colorado because they want to recreate in places like this it's what calls to them and so we're handy head straight up and so that's that's a wonderful problem to have and i I use air quotes with problem because a lot of folks might say well hey that's better than apathy that's better than people not totally um enjoying and and hopefully those people will become or are already supporters stewards Mm -hmm. preserve you know protectors and help us preserve this place as as well and a shared experience and a shared too, experience. which i think is cool you Absolutely. know people all over colorado can oh you've been to rocky event yeah. you know that's kind of a communal thing yeah yeah exactly so, so in that case yeah so but and our so our, our visitation continues to spike dramatically yeah. and if you look over 
you know, you look in the past as far as our visitation levels over the years, it seems to, you know, there's patterns of it increasing and then plateauing and then increasing and plateauing. So that's been part of our past. We're now at a point, again, where we are significantly increasing when and if that's going to plateau. Um, I don't know that we can continue to deal with the level of visitation increases that we're seeing. Yeah. I don't I don't think that we can continue to see 32 percent, 32. I just no, don't know that that's I, possible I because of just the infrastructure. It's physically possible. Physically yeah. possible for that many yeah. people to arrive in the park and all that. So I don't know that we're going to continue to see that dramatic growth just because of logistics. Yeah, just limitations. Yeah, limitations. Even if even before we take any actions, just just limitations in sure. general. Um, but certainly, you know, as we look into the future and we look at just this dramatic increase over the last couple of years, record visitation every year, the last four years, record visitation every month of the year. So maybe our old model was Memorial Day through mm-hmm. late September. Yeah. We now know that that, that model is completely out the window. Yeah. Now we're seeing record visitation every month of the year. And it's not just Rocky, public lands in general right. in Colorado are seeing, you know, huge Im- uh, increase yeah, in visitation, uh, and then some of the impacts related to that. Yeah. So certainly that's been a significant change. change over the last four years, and and this rapid growth that you just can't keep up with. So in 2015, we were completely on our heels. That year, we had a 21% increase in one year, and although visitation continues to go up, our staffing does not. Yep. And so after a while— and That's something that surprises people. Almost everyone I tell that, they're like, what? I'm like, yeah, we have yeah. e- either equal or even less staff than we've had in the past we, with way fewer visitors. Exactly. We yeah. have less staff now. Yes, despite having way more visitors. Yeah. Like so millions we, more. Yeah. We have less staff now than we had eight years ago. Yeah. And so, you know, that's something that we as a leadership team need to continue to address because mm-hmm. our colleagues' well-being is extremely important. Mm-hmm. And we need to make sure that we're keeping that in mind. And so as we continue to, you know, deal with some of the the challenges and steps we're taking now, you know, we're looking at four areas. That visitor and staff safety is extremely important to us. Mm-hmm. Resource protection. Mm-hmm. So Op- that resource, when we say resource and park service, we mean like the every the park at every level absolutely the physical the part the physical part the view view sheds the quality of the night skies the quality of the soundscape the cultural and historical landscape that's all when we say resource we mean all that right so resource protection and then just you know wildlife habitat everything is kind of surrounded into that everything involved and then visitor experience so what kind of experience are visitors having with this level of visitation Mm -hmm. And then operational capacity, like truly what can, what, what can our infrastructure take, whether it's restroom facilities in Bear Lake, whether it's our trail system, whether it's our roads, you know, all of our infrastructure, what can our infrastructure, operational capacity take with this level of visitation? Right. And so those are the kind of four overarching areas that, that we started moving forward yeah. in 2016, looking at all of those things and taking some short steps um, short-term steps, and then also, you know, realizing and knowing that we're also starting the long-range planning efforts as well. Yeah. And it, it's it's going to take all of us to come up with the solutions and also potentially make hard decisions. Mm-hmm. And and again, when you think about the mission of the Park Service, that dual mandate. Yeah. Very, very difficult balancing act. Yeah. The so... whole preserving and protecting for future generations. Exactly. 
and then providing for recreational opportunities now. I mean, in a nutshell, it's a little right. bit more involved than that. Yeah, but that's, but that's basically truly it. Yeah. what so the that's, balancing yeah, act for, is. For, for listeners, if you look up the enabling legislation for the Park Service, you'll see, yeah, that it's it's uh, protecting, basically, right, but also providing for the enjoyment right. of. <laughs> And sometimes, as you can imagine, those things can come in to direct conflict because, for example, let's say that it's enjoyable for people to have 10,000 people around Moraine Park in like stadium seating watching elk. Um, But that is not the best thing for elk and maybe not the best thing for those people. Maybe that's not protecting their experience in in a certain way. So that's just one example. But we run. It's just the constant. It is. um, I don't know if I want to say conflict, but paradox or right. or dual goals yes. that we're always working under. Exactly. Yeah. Sometimes it's more of a dilemma than others. Yeah, and it's I I felt like it's it's hard not just here but with other parks that are experiencing really high visitation. Mm-hmm. And like you said, it's not it's not necessarily the hard number that matters as much. It's like the capacity. Right. You know how what capacity are we at in terms of restrooms? Right. In terms of parking spaces? In terms right. of and yeah, I feel like, you know, there's other parks, Zion, right. Yosemite, Yellowstone, Grand Canyon, um, Smokies, and there's a lot more than that. And us, and it, to me, is difficult. It's almost like an identity crisis because for years, I feel like with parks, it was, we need to get more people out to the parks because we want more people to see how amazing they are and to um, have that experience and enjoy their public lands and their heritage and even to the point where I remember, like at Black Canyon, the Gunnison, for example, when I worked there, it's very quiet in right. the winter, which is great if you live up there and you like it to be quiet. But on the other hand, we're always kind of like, oh, why don't more people come up here and realize how amazing it is? Well, now at Rocky, they are. You know, people are coming in the winter. Right. Winter weekends, parking will get full. Like, it's happened. it happens a lot. It does. And they're coming in the fall and they're coming in the spring. They're coming in these less or more challenging weather times, right. but that also have their own beauty, which is great. It's just also like, oh my gosh. Well, and we hear from visitors that say that they're not coming anymore too. Yeah. Because and that always makes me sad. Level of visitation. Yeah. So that's another thing we need to be looking at is also making sure that not only are we providing an, uh, an experience for, for visitors now, and that's a hard thing to hang your hat on because what you think is a valuable experience and what I think is a valuable experience might be very, very different. Absolutely. And we see that all the time with our visitors. What some person considers as crowding if they're from, you know, a rural setting or they their mindset is mm-hmm. this is going to be their experience. And then if somebody comes maybe from an urban situation and they, they feel more comfortable when there's right. lots of people around. Yeah. So it's really hard to say, you know, what's the visitor experience? Well, it's so individual. It is. But I think we also have to acknowledge that we continue to hear from people that are, I'm not coming back, or I just came there and I hadn't been there in five years and it was, a, you know, a it's very crazy. different situation, crazy. I had no, um, I did not enjoy it. You know, I think those mm. are all conversations we need to have so that we have to remember that we are a national park. So we have to take all of those voices mm-hmm. and feedback in mind mm-hmm. As we continue to think through uh, how we mm-hmm. move forward, and it's not just about all of us. No. It's about those that are coming here 30 years from now. Exactly. About our grandkids and nieces and nephews and um, all of these generations that, you know, those that came before us. Yeah. We would have been pretty ticked off at them if they wouldn't have Absolutely. taken care of this place. And so, 
we also need to take ownership as a as a country, as a community, as a however you want to say it. We also have to take that ownership to say, how are we leaving this for folks that are going to come 30 years from now? And the decisions that we make now yeah. are going to make a, uh, right. a significant difference in right. that. And, you know, so that's so that's. A so, big part of what yeah. we're needing to address. So on our end, on, on the park end, um, we have all sorts of stuff going on right now to look at just trying to get baselines, basically, of, right. of what visitation is, what are the patterns, what are what do people want out of their experience, what are they looking for, kind of collecting data, um, correct? Right. And then we're using that data to begin in. In, well informed to basically inform our discussion internally and then with the public to just say you know this is what's happening right. these are the facts on the ground these are the pros and cons and what do we want to try to do in the future to figure it out right. and it's it's uh it's I, for me i think it's a little scary because we don't know the answer but it's also exciting because we right. don't know the answer and right. we're trying to figure it out with people right. and and i think um you know one thing with this podcast that i want people to be able to experience having these conversations that are just very straightforward and very uh, non-formal and very, Mm -hmm. you know, like this is that we are not trying to make rules to like kill anyone's fun. Like everyone I talked to in the park, we all, we got into parks because we love parks and we love visiting parks and we love living in, we love it so much. We wanted to live in a park. Right. And so we totally get that. And we want people to have the best vacation or whatever personal growth experience or whatever their experience is so but we the reason we do have regulations is because that protect side right you know we're trying to protect it like you said for future generations forever right so what are some of the things the key things with this growing visitation that we um are asking visitors to be aware of and to do that can help us right Help us help them. Help me help you. <laughs> exactly. So there are a variety of things. And and one is just continuing to do things like this where we engage and connect with visitors to, to help us come up with some of the uh-huh. solutions. To hear and their voice. To hear their voice and informing each other as well. So we took short-term action uh, the last couple of years because we had to. You know, as I mentioned, we were completely on our heels in 2015 saw the ramifications of that, um, not only on the resource, but on visitors and staff. Mm -hmm. And so because of just the crowding. So we started putting restrictions in place along the Bear Lake Road Corridor, Wild Basin, and Alpine Visitor Center, which are our three main congested areas, Mm -hmm. starting in 2016. And there was not some magical time on the clock on Saturday that we said, okay, every Saturday at 10, 18, it's meant to be very fluid, and we're yeah. we're moving forward with um, and it's those restrictions based, right? this year. It's I think it's, people need to understand that it's it's safety based, right? It's uh, safety it's, based. It's like, for example, I mean, if if there's just miles of cars in every direction, and something happens, right. Let's say, let's say it was someone you're hiking with, yeah, and we need to get an ambulance up there, right? We can't get an ambulance up there because right. it's so crowded, and right. so that's that was part of it, right? That's we it. just were saying. This right. is becoming unsafe. Right. There are lots of parts of it. So that is one of the main reasons. And yeah. we had um, examples in past years where we literally could not get emergency vehicles down in areas or to areas because of the sheer congestion along the roads right. and the way people had parked. 
that we could not get and it it absolutely impacted our response time. Yep. And so that's a big part of why mm-hmm. we made these decisions and places like Wild Basin Road, which is a dirt narrow road yeah. that leads down to the tra- Wild Basin Trailhead. Yep. Got all use it takes for, for to to pass people a lot yeah, of time. All it takes is, you know, a couple of people parking um because they can't find a legitimate parking space, right. so they park somewhere, and now the back of their vehicle is out in the middle of the road, and they leave their vehicle, head in to go hike, and then, you know, just trying to get around and maneuver around those vehicles, again, in emergency vehicles. Or just other visitors. Or just other yeah, visitors. It's a consideration for everyone else. Yeah, and if we had to evacuate an area uh, because of fires, that's also, you know, a, a concern as well, because mm-hmm. you have all of these people mm-hmm. that are kind of, down a narrow dirt uh, road. So So these are all things we have to keep in mind. And then just the resources. So once parking areas filled up, once legitimate parking spots filled up, we were seeing that, uh, unfortunately, visitors were parking um, on the resource uh, in places that you would not have thought was even possible. Right. And so we were seeing significant resource damage and impacts as Uh, a result of that. Vegetation, yeah. Yeah. We're just... The sides of the road start looking like baseball fields or something, right, you know, they're right. just dirt. Exactly. So then there goes the whole aspect that we are um, required to provide as far as resource protection, that native vegetation, um, you know, other aspects of just what happens to wildlife when you have that many people in an area. Mm-hmm. Uh, so again, we took steps with mm-hmm, that in mm-hmm. mind and then just truly what our uh, facilities could stand. So when there's that many people in that area, even if we had a custodian cleaning the bathroom every 30 minutes, the condition of our facilities um, were very, very poor just because of the volume of people that were there. So for all of these reasons and many more, we started restricting vehicle access. So when parking areas fill and the congestion warrants along the roads uh, starting to become an unsafe situation, Mm then we um, start putting restrictions mm-hmm. in place. Last okay. summer, that was June through September, every weekend is when it usually happened. And the same thing has been happening this year as well. And it's actually moved into some weekdays. Really? As well, wow. just because of our level of visitation. Yeah, because yeah, we've been setting so many records, right? Same, like, yeah. Same challenges of Alpine Visitor Center. Yeah. So, um, you know, we got two roads that now with Old Fall River right, Road Old Fall open River for Road the season. Into the so Alpine you got Center two roads that empty, and all it takes is a couple people wanting to turn into that visitor center from Trail Ridge Road, and you soon have backups for, for oh, miles yeah. as a result of that. So, right. those are all things that we're trying to tackle best mm-hmm. we can, but mm-hmm. you have to kind of intensively manage those mm-hmm. areas too. Mm-hmm. And in 2016, we actually had less complaints. Because we took those steps in. That's in good. fact, we had a lot of people that reached out to us and said, finally, really, if you plan ahead, um, you can get into these areas. Um, so it helped. So it helped. And um, I think also we saw a lot of belligerence amongst visitors. Uh. And so that, with putting those restrictions in place, that helped uh, yeah, ease some of that belligerence. It just helps keep you out of crowding. a situation that you can't win. Right. Like, right. Like if you're driving around looking for parking and it isn't there, you're just going to get frustrated. Yeah, and right. I understand. I can understand exactly. that for sure. So a lot of it is is uh, helping us better inform the visitor. Yeah. So a lot, a lot of that too is again really trying to convey the plan ahead message. So many of our visitors are return visitors. They come here year after year, or maybe they haven't been here for five years. Their experience is very different than the way they remember it five years ago. We also have a lot of visitors that are coming up here for the first time. They jump in their car on a Saturday at noon, mm-hmm. and then 
their world is rocked when they get up here and mm-hmm. realize that our entrance station lines are long and there's no right. parking. So a lot of what we're, we've been trying to do for the last three years is really doing as much as we can to encourage people to plan ahead. We realize that there's going to be visitors that don't do any planning ahead and sure. they're extremely spontaneous and I envy that. I wish I was that spontaneous. Yeah. Um, but really other parks, I believe, you know, other parks have have put in their catch lines, you know, do not be spontaneous when coming to a national park, particularly May through October. Yep, not a busy uh, one, yep. Yeah, and yeah. so I think that that's a lot of, if, if people do truly plan ahead, look at some of the tips that we have on our website. Yep, and got it on uh, the homepage. On the right homepage, now. it really, really does make a difference. And we realize that people are listening, so we always did that hike early. Well, no surprise, we knew this was going to happen, that people are now coming here earlier. And so that means our parking lots are going to fill up earlier. Mm -hmm. So I know that some parks say come prior to 7 or after 6 p.m., that might be part of our future yeah, here. Because we have Rocky. been saying 10 to 3, yeah, right? Yeah. But it's, it's, it's well, shifting. It, it is, but we say, you know, that 10 to 3 is that, that, crunch, time. that crunch time. So the earlier people come or the later people come outside of that 10 to 3, they'll have more success and they'll have a more pleasant experience. Yeah. And we continue to see this huge influx on weekends. Yep. So if people could even just tweak their schedule and come on a weekday, yep. even in July, yep. in weekday, summer, it, helps. it helps a little bit. And but the, weekends, in the fall, it's, it's huge. Yeah, I huge. mean, I, I get that it's hard for people in the right. fall because right. kids are in school and, right. blah, blah, and all of that. And, but yeah, this, the fall here. Right. We have about 50% higher visitation on weekends in the fall than yeah. we do weekdays. And that ought, that's changing a little bit too, uh, but it's uh, some of our busiest days uh, for the year are weekends in the fall. Yep. Because so, it's it's a glorious time to be here. So before ten, depending yeah. on your trailhead, maybe yeah. even earlier than eight, that. Seven. Yeah. Almost six for yeah. some trailheads. Exactly. Uh and then after three. Right. And I definitely see that to be true. Right. Because I'll come in after work sometimes just yeah. and right. it's a lot less busy. So those uh, are weekdays, weekdays. Over weekends if you can. Right. Right. Okay. And then you know, again, just the whole concept of carpooling, uh-huh. using the shuttle system. And yeah, our shuttle system is great. It is great. And our shuttle system has been around since the 70s. Our shuttle system, you know, got improved in the in the early 2000s. We started our shuttle system, worked closely with the town of Estes Park. They were able to, um, you know, take advantage of the shuttles being in this area to also then uh, expand the shuttle program right. within the town of Estes Park. And then we have the hiker shuttle that's a park shuttle that runs from the Estes Park Visitor yeah, Center up to Bear Lake. Which has a new Lake. parking garage. And there's a new parking garage yeah, there. Yeah, so more spaces there. And the shuttles run every 30 minutes. Uh-huh. So again, people need to set the expectation that those buses only run every 30 minutes. So there is a very good possibility, again, if they're here on a busy weekend, that they might stand in line for that hiker shuttle for more than an hour right. before they can ride into right. the into the um yep. uh into the park Which and can be a little it can feel frustrating but the other the other thing that i kind of like about it sometimes number one you get to meet people and talk to people which is kind of fun number right. two if you weren't doing that you would be sitting in your car trying to negotiate traffic Absolutely. that hour and then when you do get to go into the park you can just enjoy the view and not worry about finding a right. place to park right so. Exactly. And, and yeah. there are some advantages. And we also try to highlight at the hiker shuttle, um, if they are coming between that 10 and 3 period, and our restrictions are in place, and so that's the only way they can get up Bear right. Lake, if they're really focused on going to Bear Lake, is, you know, go walk around Lake Estes, uh-huh. go into town and have lunch, 
come back and get on the hiker shuttle, say at three or later, um, then they won't have as long of a wait time. And so again, it's setting realistic expectations, just like anywhere else we go, Mm -hmm. whether we're going to, when anytime we travel, if we can set realistic expectations for people, I, I, I know that when I travel, I want people to be straight with me yep. and say, this is how long this is going to take. Yep. This is rather than, oh, everything is just fine. Mm-hmm. There was a big thing of lightning that came down over nice. Prospect Mountain. Pretty close. <laughs> All right. So I don't know if we want to, we could finish it in the car. Yeah, we could wrap up in the car so we don't get yeah, electrocuted, do lightninged, fried. I'll pick this little baby up. There you go. I got this. Right, so we've got the shuttle bus system. Definitely right. take advantage of it. Sometimes right. it is your only option. Right. But even, it is. even when it's not, I often will use it just because I find it less stressful. Right. <laughs> right. And, you know, something that we often get asked is that we've been asked either just have it be bus, on, bus uh, access only into. Um, Bear Lake Road Corridor, we've also been asked oftentimes, why not more buses? Why don't you run buses every five, ten minutes? And buses are certainly a great tool to to move people. But as soon as you start using buses, then your capacity changes greatly. So the trailheads and the parking areas were the former capacity to these areas. But if you continue to increase shuttle access to areas, then you just surge mm-hmm. oftentimes users into the area. And mm-hmm. we've learned from our colleagues in other national parks like Zion that buses, you know, also provide challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, where even with the frequency of buses that they're running, they still have pretty significant wait times as a result of it. So shuttles are a great tool to use, but they're not the only tool that we right. can use here at Rocky. And so, they also um, you know, cost money. So funds that we would be using towards shuttle buses is very limited mm-hmm. as far as our entrance fees. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it would certainly be part of the overall plan to see what funding would be available. And that would be a side note as far as just looking at the capacity and what resource impacts you would have if mm-hmm. you continued to just surge people. Right. And then what's the visitor experience? If right. you happen to be at a trailhead or getting off a bus with 40 other people, is that the experience that you're looking for when you're hiking into the park? Yep. So these are all things that we have to look at when we look at how we're going to use shuttle right. buses as a tool. Right. So... Before ten, after three, use shuttle buses as a tool. Any other, any other things that we can tips we can give people to uh, help have the best visit possible. You know, the whole concept of hike early, hike late is really key. And if people do decide to hike late, they really need to be dialed into the weather forecast. Yep, that will make a big difference. Yep. And truly, just what time they will be coming out. Is it going to be dark? Yeah. If it is, then they need to. Make prepared. sure that they are prepared for yeah. that. Whether and it's being that. really dialed into the route um, and not going off trail, which we don't encourage anyway. Yeah. But and then also just making sure you know you have headlamps and things yeah. like that as you're coming yeah. out. So you you have to look at your hike very differently if you are going in later in the day. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And definitely check the weather forecast. Right. You know, it's it's our typical pattern here to have afternoon thunderstorms. Right. Every afternoon, we're not always in that pattern, but a lot of times we are. We just ducked inside because of that very pattern because lightning started so yeah that's definitely one thing to think about because 
especially a lot of our hikes go above tree line. You don't want to be above tree line if there is lightning anywhere around. So watch that really carefully. But as long as you do watch the forecast, uh, the hiking in the evening is great yeah. a lot of the time, yeah. especially yeah. when the light's long in the summer. Okay, so that's a good exactly. tip. Hike early, hike late. And then the other thing, again, as you're planning ahead and thinking about your destination is that um, 80% of our visitors come in through the east side of the park. 20% from side. the west side. 80%, wow. Yeah, so and which would make sense when you think sure. about populations. the populations and Denver International Airport yep. and, and elsewhere. Uh, but certainly if people want to just know that fact when it comes to planning, they might choose um, you yep. know, what entrance they come in based on where they're coming from mm-hmm. or their um, interest in what they're looking at. So mm-hmm. that's just... Um, yeah, we have the whole west side of the park. Yeah. <laughs> and it's beautiful. Yeah. And I think the other is um, camping, which yeah. which we know, but this one if surprises people want to camp in the park, we've got three reservation campgrounds, um, two first come, first serve, and those three reservation campgrounds are booked six months in advance. Yep. So that's, so that's part Aspen, of Glen, Aspen Glen, Glacier Rain Basin, park. and Marine Park, right? Yep, exactly. So booked people six just... six months in advance. Yeah, so if people want to camp, they really need to book those reservations, and it's it's good. You then you know you have a place, right. and you can do that online. You can do you can that go online. online. So mark your calendar, and it's you six can pick your exact spot, see it on a map, yeah. get all in, you know very. But yeah, plan and way ahead. And that's pretty typical, not only for Rocky, but yeah. most other sure. public lands and federal lands Absolutely. in this area, especially in this area. Yeah, and first come, first serve. You know, certainly if people want to roll the dice and right. and hope that they can get one of those first come first serves, uh, Timber Creek Campground on the west side yep. is is the campground that fills up last. Uh-huh. So that's just some other tidbits. And we already talked about the the significant difference between weekend versus weekday visitation. And then the the last thing too is people can purchase their pass online. Uh-huh. So if they're wanting to take the hiker shuttle, um, an entrance pass is required for that. People can purchase that online if they're. Coming into the park, they can purchase the pass online. Um, it doesn't speed up your time in the actual line. So right. some people are like, well, if I do this online, do I have to be in the entrance station lines? Yes, you do. you do. Yep. You do. But the big thing to remember is just that it should shorten your transaction time. Yes, so most definitely. rather than handing the person, in the, uh, one of our colleagues in the booth, your credit card, going through that whole thing, you just basically can show yep. on your smartphone yep. that you've purchased the pass. And then so they'll say, here's your brochure, here's exactly. your newspaper. So it does go. speed up the transaction time at uh-huh. the booth. So uh-huh. that would make a difference. The more and more people that mm-hmm. use that, yeah. then the quicker the yeah. lines And for will people go. who want to do that, if you go to our webpage, um, just search Rocky Mountain National Park, it'll come up. It's on the front page, fees and passes, and you can right. go right there. It'll take you straight to a form. You can fill it out all online. Yes. Works well. Yes, works very well. So that's just another uh, tool Great. that people can use. Awesome. Anything else that I, we should cover? I, I think because I have one final question and then okay. we'll be done. Very good. I think the other thing that that we could spend uh, a lot more time on that maybe we can talk about at a future time, but the 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 plea to continue to ask visitors to to help us protect this resource. Yes, and we have seen. You know, this increase in visitation, and I think a big part of what we um, talk about is that most of our visitors are here for all the right reasons. They love this place. They want to protect this place. Mm -hmm. Um, They have this amazing sense of place Mm -hmm. when they come here that they want to protect it. We are seeing, though, more and more behavior that we're really concerned about. 
that that we're seeing increase. Now, it's probably the same percentage of visitors, right. but now when you're at 4.5 million, that same percentage of visitors is is going to have more impact. What kind of what kind of behavior? So, we're seeing, you know, an, a number of a number of um, behaviors that either are tied to people not knowing mm. or not caring. Mm. And so what what we'll all just have to continue to to work on as best we can is the the behavior that people just don't know about. Mm-hmm. It's the first time that they've been to a national park. Yep, all sorts of new stuff. All sorts of new stuff, you know, continuing to highlight that these are special places. We want to keep them special places. National parks are not meant to be all things for all people. They're not multi-use right. places like some of our um, colleagues in yep. other areas are. We have are. a lot of that land in the United States. We do. That's just not what national parks are. Right, um, so U.S. That's, forest, that's we yeah, U.S. forest um, service you know they they have amazing places where oh, yeah. they are multi-use, yeah, where BLM people too. can can do a variety of more um, activities than they can in national parks. Yep. So we we do have those places. And we have a lot of foresters land in Colorado. We do like thirteen, twelve, thirteen million acres, something like that. We, we, it's unbelievable. Yeah. We we have a lot, and so I think you know continuing to highlight that national parks are special places, and some of the behavior that we've seen increase. We talked a little bit about before, as far as just. Uh, parking Mm -hmm. challenges that Mm -hmm. when we have crowding and when people don't have parking spaces, we continue to see people be extremely creative with where (laughs) they're parking in the park, whether it's on, you know, native vegetation, whether it's on the tundra, um, whether it's blocking other cars in, whether it's, you know, in ditches and near water streams and rivers. And so that's, that's a concern for us. And, you know, again, really trying to highlight that um, you know, even though somebody might consider this, well, it's just grass. It's not just grass. It's mm-hmm. native vegetation. All it takes is one car. Um, and, you know, we're in a very unique habitat that stuff doesn't grow here that quickly. No. And, it, and so ripping yeah. it out with tires, et cetera, or putting hot cars on top of grass also can present a whole other set of challenges like when it comes it to, fire. yeah, yes, yeah. like catching Later on fire. In the summer. Yes. Yep. I've definitely heard of Fires oh. started that way. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And so parking in uh, established, developed parking areas, mm-hmm. we need to continue to just get as much help as we can from the public on that. Speaking of fires, we're seeing in the last couple of years uh, um, a extreme concern for park staff and that we've seen a, a huge increase in the amount of illegal campfires in Rocky Mountain National Park. And so that not only concerns us, but it obviously concerns our communities that surround us. If a fire was to escape from an illegal campfire, which has happened in Rocky Mountain National Park, it will drastically change all of our lives in a matter of 30 seconds. It happened in 2012 with the Fern Lake Fire. That fire started with an illegal campfire in the Forest Canyon area in October. Mm -hmm. Extremely dry time for us. November was the driest November on record. And that fire cost over $6 million to fight. And a big part of Estes Park was evacuated from that. And again, from an illegal campfire. So that's... So when you're in Rocky, if you are not in a campground or picnic area with an established fire ring, you're not allowed to have a fire. Right. We always have restrictions in place in Rocky for fires. And And we understand for sure that a lot of people when they're camping or whatever, they like to have a fire. And that is totally fine. And there's lots of places you can do that. Rocky's just not... Exactly. So if that's really important for your backpacking trip or whatever, um, you know, find areas where that where that is is managed and allowed for. Right. Here right. it is not. We've we've had uh, protect pe- other people and protect yeah. yourself and protect the park. 
We've had people illegally starting fires on the tundra, um, right by trailheads, and and talk about a fragile ecosystem that does not yes. recover. Yeah, we talked about that with Cynthia. Great, great. Yes. So, so certainly that's a big big thing, and a lot yeah. of that group is those that don't care. So mm. that's uh, you know another way to address that is um, you know continuing to do patrols, and and yep. we're really fortunate, Rocky, because we've got so many sets of eyes and ears out there. Yes, visitors. a pro yes. to our level of visitation, and boy, do we hear as soon yeah. as people start smelling smoke, seeing smoke. Yep. Um, you know, they'll, they'll take pictures of it. They'll take pictures of people that are in the area. Uh, you know, it's amazing the things that people do to help us try yeah. to, uh, prevent that. So and another thing, uh, we can, we can plug another thing people can do that will lay this out specifically for you is the Rocky pledge, Absolute, which we yes. worked on together. It's on our website. Um, if you go to the homepage, you'll find it. Or if you go to go.nps.gov forward slash Rocky pledge. And it has a couple, uh, six bullet points, I believe, items of like the main things you can do to help us protect the park. And you can go there, look at the pledge, read through it. You can say it out loud with the group, say it to yourself, snap a photo in the park of you pledging, um, and uh, share it with your friends and family. Because we're just we're trying to get the message out there, and in a positive way, you know, in a positive way right. that that this is your national park. It was all it's all of our national parks, and so we're just to take care of it, to right. take pride in it, just like you take pride in your own your own home right. or your your own community is maybe a better metaphor. Yeah. Right. Somebody once said, you know, which I love, is like act like you own this place. Uh-huh. And really that's truly what we need we need everybody's help with. We talked about some of our challenges with staffing before and so we can't be everywhere. We'd love to be, but we can't. And yep. so it really takes all of us to continue to say, how how can I get involved yep. by doing the Rocky Pledge or educating and informing this group that I'm talking to or my friends that are coming over for dinner or, you know, how, how can I engage with other visitors if I'm in the park in a mm-hmm. professional kind way mm-hmm. to, to highlight some of the, mm-hmm. let's, let's all do this together. Yeah. Because or, really, like you said, a lot of people, they literally don't know. Right. Right. The other, the other thing we're um, seeing is a big, big challenge is the increase of dogs on trails. Uh-huh. And it's, it's a huge concern to us. And it's probably the number one complaint we get from other visitors is the number of dogs that are on trails. Mm-hmm. And so, again, we have signs everywhere. So usually it's people that don't care. With dogs, rarely is it, oh, I didn't know. Right. Because they're, we, you're literally walking right past a sign. Yeah, like every trailhead. And then we have visitors that say, I told these people no dogs on the trail. And they're like, yeah, I know. Right. But I take my dog everywhere I go. Right. So it's, it's something that is a, something that we're going to continue to tackle. And we just ask that, Visitors just leave their dogs at home. There's lots of other places you can take your dog. You yeah. can take your dog on trails and forest areas mm-hmm. and in our surrounding communities. You know, dogs in. dogs are predators. Wildlife act differently when yeah. dogs are in an area. And I think and and I think what some of the people have to remember, and I'm a dog owner, so I have to remind myself of this too, is like there's four last year four and a half million people. Right. There. So even if maybe you're in the middle of national forest by yourself, you know, there's hardly anyone around and a few pets and it's not a big deal, but you can imagine here if t- even 10% of people brought a pet, how with the wildlife and other visitors, you know, a lot of people are uncomfortable around dogs. I mean, there's just so many people in one spot that, yeah, it, right. it, it poses lots of yeah. issues. Yeah. Dogs can be, you know, again, predators, they impact wildlife yeah. behavior. They can also be prey. We've had situations yes. here in the park where small dogs have been preyed on by um, coyotes, yep. bobcats, uh, raptors. 
And we so have we have mountain lions. <laughs> you probably won't so, hear about that if your dog is right. So so certainly that, and then and then also just honoring that other visitors should have an opportunity to recreate in a place where there's not dogs on the trails. We've had people bit by dogs on the trails, and so again, you know, continuing to try to step back from being a beloved pet owner, which we all understand, for sure. and realizing that that there are just some places that that pets. Um, should not go. And yep. Rocky Mountain National Park trail system is one of those and and the tundra and yep. many other places. So the only place you can have dogs in Rocky Mountain National Park are places where you can have cars. Yep. So like picnic areas, campgrounds, yep. and, um, right on the roadside if you're like by your car. Right. And that's exactly. Much it. Yep. That's pretty yep. much it. And they With always the have to be leashed. service animals, but, but we use the, if you have a service animal, you will know it. So emotional right. support, therapy, all that does not count. It has to be uh, performing a, a task, a specific task for someone, um, with a disability. And we have that language on our website. So if you, if you do have a service animal and you know that you fall into that category, that's a different story, but that is the very, (laughs) most people that's, that's not what it is. So. Right. And then a couple of other things is just, um, we're continuing to see social trails increase, yeah. significantly so, so we just continue to ask yeah. people to stay on established trails. So a social trail yeah for folks who don't know is basically when you know someone walks up away and then someone sees their footsteps and follows and then before you know it you get a trail worn in and i think people may not realize how much work goes into building a good trail right. and what's involved but it is very specific in terms of dealing with erosion from footsteps from rain from wind all of that we, right. we try to build trails to minimize the amount of erosion Social trails don't follow any of that, and so they can really end up being uh, harmful. Right. Yes. It, significant resource impacts yeah, so from social trails. We're seeing significant impacts on the tundra from social yeah, trails, other places. One. It is. So, and then just a couple of other things, because we could probably spend a lot of time on each one of these, <laughs> but um, the whole concept of leave no trace yes. is really critical, whether it's orange peels or apple cores or you know, anything, it impacts other people. If you walk along and you see that kind of stuff, then then you have left a trace. People right. say, I, I know that somebody else has been here and not removing things, not removing right. rocks or flowers or pine cones. If, again, if 4.5 million visitors all took something with them when they left, yep. it does impact other people's experience. Absolutely. So we need to think through that. And then the last one that we need to do a podcast on, Miles, is the whole concept of human waste yes. in our backcountry. Yes. It's a growing concern for us, uh, the amount of um, human waste that's on our trails, next to our trails, the amount of toilet paper that's being left behind, the amount of um, poop that's being left behind yep. uh, right on our trails. Yep. Um, the, the health and safety aspects of that is something that we're seeing explode as well. Yep. And, and it's not just here at Rocky that that's becoming a major problem. It's places all over the place place. and so that truly i think we need to do another podcast on the whole concept of you know how leaving no trace when it comes to going to the bathroom Mm -hmm. really makes a difference and again um the challenges that we have with facilities further uh in our trail system and our backcountry um we just really need to continue to engage the public in yeah. Um, packing it out with you, which yep. is a hard thing for some it's people to wrap not, their brains around. It, it's not glamorous, but, uh, you know, actually, yeah, I'm going to be a week, a little over a week. We're going out with Tara, Vasella, and a wilderness crew, and I'm going to be asking them about that. Great. there's the folks who 
have to deal with with all that business. <laughs> right. Right. Um, and I it's think it's the stuff we don't want to talk about or think about. But, but it's, yeah, it's super important. It's super important. Yeah, I mean, you don't want to be hiking down this beautiful trail and then just see human right. poop all over the place. Right. And I think, just like you said, getting that message out there that part of what makes coming to a national park exciting is that there's different expectations and there's a different requirement for personal responsibility in terms of thinking about your own impact. And it, that's part of what's neat about it is it makes it very clear to you, <laughs> much more so. Right. Um, but there are steps that you need to take so right yeah uh yeah we'll we'll see how that gets covered in in the next one and then yeah maybe we could do i think it'd be neat to do a podcast with um some janitorial staff just you know to let people know um how many of those folks work here at the park and how important like absolutely essential their job is that's huge yeah great okay so one final question okay i've been asking everybody uh, it's a hard question to answer, but that's okay. You've been here 16 years. What does Rocky Mountain National Park mean to you? Ah. <laughs> Rocky Mountain National Park epitomizes to me what the mountains are all about. Mm. I mean, if you were anywhere in this world and you closed your eyes and said, what, what, what are mountains all about? Mm. What is that habitat all about? And people love the mountains. It's mm-hmm. what calls a lot of people or people are scared when they think about mountains. But you think about all of the things that we have, wildflowers, the diversity of wildlife we have, mm-hmm. the mountain streams and rivers that truly are the headwaters to life mm-hmm. all the way down that mm-hmm. path. And so to me, Rocky Mountain National Park is all of those things. And that's Mm -hmm. another reason why people should get out and experience it responsibly. Mm -hmm. They should also preserve and protect it because it's such a unique, diverse landscape. And oftentimes people think, oh, is it, is the tundra barren because it's up high and because there's not a lot of tall things growing. It's like, it's the opposite. Yeah, it's so full of It is absolutely full of life. And no matter where you are in this park, there's this unbelievable diversity, whether you're at a montane riparian area or whether you go up to the alpine where you're above the trees and so to me i think of rocky as being this really diverse place that sometimes doesn't get very much credit for being this mm. diverse place because people think of oh it's the mountaintops well it's all of the life that's throughout right. all of those at different, so different systems levels. at so and many different levels range of altitude really does mean that we have lots of distinct ecosystems and it's neat once you learn about it or you're here and you pay attention, you start to see that and right. appreciate that. And, and the other aspect of Rocky that what Rocky means to me is um, a lot of the people that I get this unbelievable opportunity to work with and the diversity, not only what the resource provides, but the diversity of what our colleagues do. Mm-hmm. It blows my mind mm-hmm. every day. Like I said, the thing that I regret the most is not being able to tell everybody's story because the the things that our folks do um, is is part of what just moves me about this place not only the resource but our colleagues too great came up with an answer so quickly it's impressive thank you so much for speaking with us kyle absolutely thank you uh, you know i bet we'll check back in with you about different things as as this progresses and grows to the greatest podcast on earth (laughs) very good thank you for your efforts in making this happen yeah all right thanks
concludes our show. Thank you so much for listening this week. Our next episode will be released, as always, in two weeks. That will be Friday, August 11th. For show notes, transcriptions, and to learn more about our show, visit our homepage at go.nps.gov forward slash rmnpod. That is go.nps.gov forward slash rmnpod. The Rocky Mountain National Podcast is a product of Rocky Mountain National Park, one of 417 units of the National Park Service that preserve America's heritage for all, forever. Thank you. We hope your next two weeks are awesome, and we will see you next time.